Good afternoon. It's really great to be here, really great to be welcomed to the great city of Birmingham. And uh, to really feel like uh, we are with family or that I am with family. Uh, I say we because I thought my wife and my kids were going to be down here with me this weekend. They weren't able to make it. But we'll come back another time and, and visit for longer. Uh, but it is, it is great to be here. And uh, I bring uh, greetings to you from Scotland and uh, the lovely land up north. Uh, what you see is Castle Urquhart and Loch Ness in the background. This little shadow right there in the water is Nessie, just submerged. Just submerged right as the picture was being taken. But uh, it is great to be here in the UK. Uh, I'm from the Washington DC area originally. Moved to Glasgow about two years ago with my family uh, to take on the exciting and faithful adventure uh, of the church work here that so many of you have been a part of uh, heroically for so many years, and an adventure it is, getting to know Glasgow, getting to know Scotland, uh, getting to know the UK, and uh, this, grew, uh, this new great family uh, of churches and be part of what God is doing here. One thing I always appreciate, uh, being able to go around and visit with new churches and new parts of the family, is you, you sort of get to learn about connections that you have with a group or with people in a group, that kind of, you know, sort of come full circle in interesting ways. And it's just, it's just neat to see how, you know, how God's Spirit uh, works and, and moves and keeps us connected. I've been able to begin making some great new friends with uh, many uh, of the brothers here in Birmingham. We had a, a great camping retreat just a few weeks back, and, uh, and that was really great. Uh, uh, my wife and I, we've got another connection with the Vercells. So... Mandy went to university with my wife and I. She was actually roommates with my wife when she was still a Fontenot. Uh, and so we knew, have known Mandy and Forrest for many, many years. And then it's interesting how, uh, you know, we all kind of moved. We sort of did a circumference around the world and then have landed back in proximity in the UK. Uh, another interesting tidbit is Hugh McCartney, who I understand he may not be here this Sunday. So Hugh and I were on a Hope Youth Corps trip to Moscow in about 2000, 2001. Uh, we got to know one another. And so, yeah, it was real neat to just move to the UK and, you know, hear about Birmingham and, and learn that he's here and we've exchanged texts and so on and so forth. Still looking forward to, uh, to getting connected, uh, reconnected with him. Uh, and even, and here's another little, little interesting connection. So r- right now with my children... Uh, with my two, my two older children, uh, Ma- this is Matteo, Natalia, uh, the baby Santina, and even as she grows up, she'll always be the baby, uh, and this is my, my wonderful wife, wife Kara. Like Alexei in that video, I too met a pretty girl in church and, uh, and got married to her, so... But right now I'm reading something called the Book of God with my two older children. What it is, is it's the narrative of the Bible, sort of in novel form. And I've had this book for a while, and what's interesting is I, I opened the cover flap, and in the cover flap, there's a note there from 1996, written from the Birmingham church to Douglas Jacoby. And so, yeah, talk about an interesting connection. Uh, I, I, my, uh, myself, uh, uh, the Jacobys, and, and 
We were in, in Montgomery, the Montgomery County Church for a few years. I don't know how I ended up with that book. I'm sure I didn't steal it from him. But here I am, just starting to read a book that was gifted to Douglas from the Birmingham Church in 1996, made its way into my library, and then has been carried back to the UK. You never know how God is going to keep the connections going, amen? But it's great uh, to, to be here to uh, see uh, you know, new old friends and make new, new friends as well. The Glasgow Church is a great group. One of the greatest church groups that I have just had the privilege of getting to know and be a part of. One of the most encouraging, uh, faithful, loving groups I've ever met. How, how, many have, how many here have been able to get up to Scotland to see Glasgow to visit, visit the group there? Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, and by the way, if you're a student here, there will be an opportunity. We'd love to get a group of you up to help with our Freshers Week. Uh, in uh, late August or early September, we've got to nail the dates down. But we have a fantastic opportunity at Glasgow Caledonian University. Uh, we've been able to make a relationship with the administration there. They've opened the doors for us to do ministry. So we can have a Bible talk and uh, advertise it. And they let us use facilities. The opportunity is wide open. We just need some bodies to make the most of the opportunity. Uh, and so it'd be great. I'm talking with Kenny and Forrest, and maybe we can get some students to come up. You can visit the great city and the great church of Glasgow for a little bit and uh, really help us with, with, a freshers, uh, with a Freshers Week Blitz. That would be great. Um, but it's a great church. It's a great group. And uh, recently, we've been blessed to see a few more members added to our fellowship. Praise God. Uh, and we look for many, many more. Uh, we're still a small group in Glasgow, but that's okay because we're a spir- we are a spiritual group. And so it's encouraging to see how God has used us so far and how He will continue to use our small fellowship to make a big impact. And that leads into the lesson that I'd like to present to us this afternoon. It's a lesson on faith called Little Things, Big Impact. If you enjoy barbecue, uh, then you might know that hot sauce is a good example of a little thing making a big impact, right? A little bit of hot sauce can go a long way, especially some of the hot sauces they're making these days where it's just like weaponized. <laughs> you know, you have to like sign a release form before, before you buy it, right? But little things can make a big impact by faith. Do you ever feel small in life? Do you ever feel little? Do you ever feel small as a church? I can at times, for sure. Uh, I can go out into the streets of Glasgow, either in the community or on the campus, and just feel really, really small as a Christian sometimes. Like, you know, what, what difference can I really make? Especially if, you know, the people aren't terribly responsive. And that feels like most of the time sometimes. You know, as a minister, I read uh, statistics and studies about church trends and faith trends. And it's not an encouraging study because they're sliding in the wrong direction. Fewer and few people are associating with churches and with faith. Secularization and skepticism is is a bit on the rise. And uh, sometimes I just feel overwhelmed. I feel like I'm I'm small. how, How can I reach a million or so people around Glasgow by myself? But you know what? If if those trends are going down, then faithful living must really step up. Right? I appreciate the encouraging and faithful repentance that the Bible is constantly calling me to in my thinking. 
Because the truth is that Christians reach the world and have reached the world, but it's not by ourselves. It's by the power of God that works and moves in ways we can scarcely imagine. And that's the thing that I need to focus on. That's the thing that we need to focus on. It's it's by faith. And that's how little things can make a big impact. But how often do you feel overlooked? Or feel underappreciated? Or feel weak? Forgotten? Unimportant? You know, if you ever feel those ways, amen, you're in blessed company. You want to know why? Because as you go through the Scriptures, you'll find that all the heroes of the faith were the same. God revels and delights in the opportunity to do the miraculous and to work big things through little things. So that His power and His work is on display and not our own. You know, it's an interesting thing when we read through uh, these Bible accounts because we read them and we get to see the whole arc of the narrative to its completion. So we think of someone like David, right? And we think of King David, my goodness, what a a warrior, right? Just a powerful warrior, Israel's greatest king, and from him the line of the Messiah came. What a hero in the faith. But, you know, when you actually get into his narrative, David was a small, overlooked man. I mean, do you remember when the prophet came to his family and, and asked and knew that, okay, you know, hey, one of, your, you know, one of your sons is going to be anointed king, and so the sons are all lined up. Here's the lineup. And the prophet's like, no, wait a minute, one of them is missing. And the dad is like, oh, oh yeah, David, right. I, he's, he's out in the fields with the sheep. I mean, that's how it began. He was overlooked by his own dad. Young, insignificant, Right? But then over the course of a faithful life, he was someone little who ended up making a big, big impact. Let's read this passage in Isaiah chapter 55. Before we do, I'd like to have a short word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this opportunity to come together and open your word. Uh, And as we do, I pray that uh, we would really hear your voice, Father. Uh, We would hear you speaking to us, encouraging us, uh, calling us higher. And that by the the working of your Holy Spirit, we can all leave here today uh, feeling uplifted and feeling more equipped to live lives of faith. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 55. Let's begin reading in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it, without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth that will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. 
Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree, and instead of the briars the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. I have one point that I'm going to preach on today, and the point is just underlined and and bold in there. His ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we've always got to remember that, to live lives of faith, and believe that we can have a big impact. What an encouraging passage this is though, isn't it? Really, really encouraging. You know, it reminds us that just the way that God works, and the way that He moves, it eludes our understanding. We'll never totally grasp it, but in a good way, right? Because it means that He's going to work in ways and accomplish things in ways that we just can't figure out. And that's so encouraging. He thinks differently than we do. We think in fixed points and straight lines. But the Lord is thinking in multidimensional vectors, right? He's just thinking and working on a different level. And so all I really have to do is be faithful that God is going to accomplish His purpose just through simple, faithful acts and living, right? Like He said, His Word, when He sends His Word out, it's not going to return empty. It will accomplish the purpose that He sends it out for. Like the rains falling from the heaven, it's going to water the ground. And so in the same way, His Word is going to accomplish its purpose. And I just got to remember that. I don't know exactly how... But that every time I'm part of putting His Word out there, it's going to accomplish His purpose. It may not be in the way that I want it to, and I may not get to see it with my eyes right there. And that's what I always want to see. I always want to see my impact have a direct impact right there that I can see with my eyes. But it doesn't always work that way. In fact, it mostly doesn't work that way. Because it's by faith. And the definition of faith is about what we're sure of, but do not see. And that's why again and again in the New Testament, the mantra is, we live by faith and not by sight. We know that God is working, working to accomplish His will in us and through us, even though we don't just get to see it all the time. And sometimes we do. And when we do, it's so encouraging, it vindicates our faith, and it reminds us that the Lord is at work. But I realize so often, the only thing that limits my participation or my impact in the incredible work of God in the world is my lack of faith and my lack of imagination about how God may be working and about how God may be moving in His sovereignty to accomplish His will. Because His ways are higher than my ways. Let's look at an example in the Bible, one of my favorite examples of someone little who made a big impact by faith. Turn to Luke chapter 20, and we're going to look at the account of the poor widow. We'll pick up in the end of chapter 20. This is part of a long narrative, longer narrative, where Jesus is teaching in the temple courts. Now, the temple in Jerusalem was ideally a place of worship and reverence for those who would honor God. It was the place where God was present with the people. 
And under Herod, the temple and the temple grounds themselves were built up and went through renovations. So it was a place of splendor and a place of beauty. Sadly, by the time of Jesus, there were some very unspiritual and very worldly attitudes that permeated and taken hold of the temple culture. The priestly class called the Sadducees, who oversaw and ruled the temple, also represented a small but elite class of Jews who were wealthy, very worldly, and very political in their dealings. And really very interested in in protecting their entrenched interests. And leveraging the temple and what was going on in the temple to enrich themselves. The Sadducees and other Jewish elites of Jerusalem would then go into the temple and go into the temple courts. And they were dressed in lavish flowing robes and, and expensive things and they stood out and they would be seen with their close friends around the temple courts. Uh, uh, and, you know, and so the temple, it wasn't just a place of worship, but it also evolved into a bit of a beauty pageant. You know, a place where the, the elite, the who's who of the Jewish religious sphere could come and be seen by the crowds and be revered and make their rounds. And so in this surrounding, Jesus is present and He's teaching this gathered crowd. And here's what he has to say in verse 45, Luke chapter 20. While all the people were listening, Jesus said to his disciples, Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses. And for a show, make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Let's stop right there. You know, this widow was small. She was insignificant. She had three strikes working against her. Strike one is that she was a woman. And while Jesus' radical teachings about equality before the Father were still gaining traction, the reality was that in the Middle East, in this time and in this culture, being a woman was a disadvantage in Jewish society. Strike two is that she was a widow. And being a widow at the time meant she'd lost the protections and advantages of marriage. And so she had no husband to advance her interests and advance her welfare. So she was very alone. Now the Jewish law commanded society to pay special compassionate attention to widows and to orphans, But sadly, there was often a big gap between the theory of how they should be treated and the reality of how they ought to be treated, of how they were being treated. And Jesus even points this out, where he talks about the teachers of the law and the leaders, they go in and they devour widows' homes, as opposed to caring for them. The third strike against her is that she was poor. And at that time, being poor had all the same disadvantages that being poor has today. 
which means you're looked down upon if you're looked upon at all. So of all the people in the temple courts that day, she would have been the least likely person to be singled out as an example. But for the fact that Jesus did not care or look at the outward appearances of people, or buy into the whole socioeconomic scales by which people are judged, or weighed their value of importance. Because His thinking is higher than our thinking, and His ways are different from our ways. So we read on in verse 3, I tell you the truth, He said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. See, Jesus regages the scale of what it means to be a big giver. Because His ways are not our ways, His thoughts are not our thoughts. He knew, He said, it's not a matter of pure currency amounts, but a matter of the heart. It's not simply about what you are giving out, but what you are giving from. Those who gave big currency amounts were giving from a a great position of wealth. So they were really only giving small. But the woman, though she gave a smaller amount and pure currency amounts, gave from her poverty and gave all she had. So she was giving big. And she was the biggest giver that day. But it was only noticed by Jesus because His ways and His thinking are higher than our ways and our thinking. Our nature as humans, as people, is to just get locked into what we see and what we perceive on the outside, isn't it? Outward beauty. Outward strength. Outward influence and importance. Judging by appearances and impressions. The thinking of the world is that bigger is better. And you have to have a brand name. And razzle dazzle. The right look. Enormous resources. The reputation. The network. The access. The gravitas to be a mover and a shaker. That's the world's paradigm. But it's not God's. Because His ways are higher than our ways. And His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Have you ever heard of the term the butterfly effect? Yeah, you ever heard that before? The the butterfly effect is this idea that little things can have big unintended consequences and impact based on their ripple effects. Right? As as this quote says, uh, it's been said that something as small as a flutter of a butterfly's wing can ultimately cause a typhoon halfway around the world. Because the thinking is, let's just say in North America, the United States, where, where I'm from, uh, out in the plains, uh, in, in, in the Midwest, there's uh, a little butterfly on, on a flower. And that little butterfly flaps its wings. And in flapping its wings, it just so happens to kick some pollen out. And let's just say there just so happens to be a buffalo grazing right by that. And that little whiff of pollen causes the buffalo to, to sneeze and be disturbed. And let's say that buffalo just so happens to be part of a larger herd of buffalo, and so the buffalo around start to get startled and they start to move. And it just so happens that that movement then gets the herd moving into a stampede. 
And that stampede then creates this larger wind current across the plain that impacts that local weather pattern there. And that local weather pattern is attached to another weather pattern which gets impacted, which is attached to another weather pattern that gets impacted and hits this larger weather pattern halfway across the world that causes a typhoon just because one little butterfly flapped its wings. That's the idea behind you know, the con- this concept of the butterfly effect. You know what inspires me is this thought of the Christian butterfly effect. Any small act done from a simple heart of faith and sacrifice can have enormous ripple effects and a large impact in the hands of God. I mean, let's think about this poor widow for a moment. This poor widow decided to get up that day and bring her meager little offering to the temple. Not knowing that as she decided to stand in line and drop it in the treasury box, that Jesus just so happened to be there that day, and Jesus just so happened to be watching, and that happened as Jesus just so happened to be teaching the crowd, uh, contrasting the hypocrisy of the wealthy religious with the heartsy sincerity of the poor, and that the timing was right for him to just point her out as an example right then and there. And as God would have it, as the many lessons uh, that Jesus gave, this one stood out in the minds of the disciples present. They always remembered that one. And so as Luke was gathering his information and the stories for his gospel, that particular story came up often, and it made it in to the writings of Luke. And then, as God would have it, of the various accounts of Jesus' life and deeds that were written up, Luke's gospel would become a critical fixture in the New Testament writings, and would begin to spread throughout the church community. And then, as God would have it, The New Testament in the Bible would go on to become the most widely published, distributed, and read book in the history of mankind. And so in the churches, in the ensuing 2,000 years, the Gospel of Luke would be read and circulated around the world, and the example and lesson of the poor widow would inspire people. They would inspire sacrifice, inspire giving in the minds and the hearts of countless people who would then be inspired to go on and give something, make a generous sacrifice uh, to a cause that builds up churches or alleviates poverty or helps the disadvantaged, any number of things. And then the people who are beneficiaries of uh, of that sacrificial giving, their lives are changed and they're moved. And now they want to go on and continue to pay it forward and exhibiting the same kind of giving and generosity that they experience by people who are inspired by this story of the poor widow. And it results in an incalculable exponential effect of generosity and giving and sacrifice that has changed the world. All because... One little poor widow gave what she had when she thought that no one was looking except God. And no one was looking except God in the man, Jesus Christ. And so just imagine this dynamic of the Christian butterfly effect. Not merely in the realm of giving like the widow, but just Christian living in general. 
Just simply living by faith. We read in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Think about the circumstances of your call. Again, this is the Apostle Paul speaking to that, that first generation of Christians, that first church. Brothers and sisters, not many were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were born to a privileged position. But God chose what the world thinks foolish to shame the wise. And God chose what the world thinks weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, what is regarded as nothing, to set aside what is regarded as something so that no one can boast in His presence. He is the reason you have a relationship with Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know, this is the testimony of the early church. As we looked at in our school of missions teaching over the past couple days, we looked at these early generations of Christians. They were not a movement of wealthy, powerful elites. They were not a group with enormous resources. In their membership were not governing politicians or military commanders or people with a lot of weight in society. It was a poor, simple, grassroots movement. But they made Jesus the object of their faith. And they lived by faith in Jesus, and so went on to start a rippling effect movement that Christianity and the Christian church has changed the world. And changed history. And you don't even need to be a believer or be a Christian to acknowledge that. That's just a fact. But this is how it started. And we're a part of that today. We're continuing that today. One simple, basic, heart-level, faithful action at a time. In closing, let's go back to Luke chapter 21. And we'll read in verse 5. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus said, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. So even as they were walking around, the disciples, they were enamored with the outward beauty and splendor, and rich look of the temple. And Jesus warns them starkly, Guys, it's not going to last. And indeed, it did not last. As we know from history in 70 AD, Jerusalem was sacked by the Romans. And they tore the temple down to its foundations. And in 2,000 years, it has not been rebuilt. And so those words that Jesus spoke came true. So, what has had the biggest lasting impact from that single day of teaching in the temple? 
It wasn't the showy Sadducees or Pharisees. It wasn't the rich donations. It wasn't the outward splendor of the temple. The thing that had the biggest lasting impact was the example of the poor widow and how that's still inspiring people today. The temple didn't last, but the example of the widow has, captured in the Scripture. This widow became an example of giving and sacrifice beyond measure because with faith in God, little things can have a big impact. As a practical point, in closing, and let me just encourage us to live faithfully in the little ways. Going out of your way to show that little extra love and encouragement to that brother or sister or neighbor who looks down could have a huge impact in the hands of God. Adding that little extra bit of contribution to support the church or support the poor can have a huge impact on someone's life. Dropping that extra invitation to church on that person standing next to you at the bus stop can have a big impact on their life. Saying that extra little prayer, maybe for that family member, for that friend, or for that brother or sister, and maybe you've prayed for them a hundred times, but saying it again one last time, that can have a big impact in the hands of God. Because whatever it is, if it's done with faith, no matter how little it is, it can have a big impact for God. Amen. So I believe at this time there's a closing song, is that correct? Yeah, amen, great. Please let's show our appreciation.